0: So the question of the morning is, what will you do after you've been brought back to life? Or put another way, what will you do with the new life that comes to you? Now, most of us in this room, being currently alive, it's not a question that you've necessarily felt compelled to wrestle with yet. My hope is by the end of the morning, you'll feel differently. We're going to look at a story that's uh, the second story sandwiched in between three. But the first and the last story help us to know what to pay attention to in story number two. In story number one, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat going across a lake when a very severe storm comes up that threatens to capsize them. So the disciples, they wake up Jesus who's sleeping in the back of the boat while the storm rages, I think trying to get him to help bail out the boat or to grab an oar. Instead, Jesus speaks to the storm, causes the storm to become calm, to become quiet, in response to which his disciples, instead of being excited and grateful, are, the story tells us, terrified. I think what they've detected, and what we be important as we go to story number two, is that they have experienced Jesus messing with a system that they felt was completely stable, and undisturbable. Jesus has disturbed what could not prior to that moment have been conceived of as even being possible to be disturbed. So the structure, the foundation for their existence has been destabilized. Story number two, which we'll read about in more detail, but Jesus and his disciples head across the lake in a boat. They arrive on a beach. The greeting committee is a wild, monstrous man who throws himself at them, terrifies them. Jesus heals the man. After Jesus heals the man, the town comes out. So this man is alone on the beach. After he's healed, the town comes out, sees what has happened, and are frightened. Okay. Jesus then responds to this man. The man says, as Jesus prepares to depart, please take me with you. Jesus says, No. You have to do two things. You have to stay here, and you have to tell your story. Story number three, they head back across the lake, arrive on the beach, and they are greeted by a large crowd who take them to the anti-monster. They arrive in a town, a crowd is gathered there, and they want to take Jesus, not to a terrifying man who threatens them with, All sorts of disturbingness. They want to take Jesus to the daughter of the religious leader in their town, a lovely young woman who is the daughter of essentially the priest or the pastor because she's sick. They take Jesus all together to this place. Jesus heals her, brings her back to life. And he says to them, in contrast to story number two, don't tell anybody about what's just happened here. So as we go into story number two, we have these bookends that will help us make sense of uh, story number two, that will help us know what to pay attention to because there will be a lot of distractors in this story. Okay, So here we have story number two. This is from the account of the life of Jesus that's attributed to Mark. Chapter five, and it begins like this. They're in the boat, traveling across the water, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and with chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. So if you put this story in the context of literary tradition, this man is a classic monster. He's someone who's large and powerful. He has superhuman strength. He can break chains and shatter shackles, and he lives in the realm of the dead, right? He lives amongst the tombs, and he comes to Jesus and throws himself down before Jesus. So we're drawn into this story because of the fantastical nature, right? This is the kind of story we like to read, and a part of what makes it work is the extremeness of things, the living amongst the tombs, the mystery of a person who can break chains and shatter shackles. A part of what makes it work, too, is that because of the fantasticalness, because of the spectacle, we can feel pretty confident that that's not me. This is a pretty, you know, profound story of a different kind of person than myself. I can feel safe wading in a little bit more. Because it's not me, it's not anybody I know, and so I'm interested, sure, what's going to happen next? But it's not relevant to me, it's not about me, I am not personally involved or caught up in this in any way. Which notion continues as the story spills out. So when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? The man replied, my name is Legion. So a reference to a Roman garrison of soldiers. It would have been an oppressive presence. My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of pigs was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, stampeded down the bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. (laughs) So... The fantasticalness continues, the spectacle. We have a healing that a, a, a Jesus causes somehow to flee from this monster. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of impure spirits. And he sends them into, oh, a herd of pigs who rush down and die in the sea. So strange, mysterious, lots to ponder and wonder about. But it also is, again, a story that is far distant from you and me. This is a kind of monster who I will never be, who I will certainly never produce. And it's a kind of being relieved from having been a monster that is unimaginable to you or me. It's not anywhere in our experience. It is irreproducible. It is not a kind of thing that you would know how to do or that I would know how to do or that any of us have ever ever come into contact with. It is a unique person experiencing a unique mechanism of getting better that will never come to us. So again, it's like interesting and fascinating and ooh, I wanna read more, but then I move on. Except that the story continues. It says, the farm workers ran off and told it in the city and the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man possessed by demons sitting there, clothed. One translation says fully clothed. And in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion... (laughs) And they became frightened. Those who had seen what had happened to the man possessed by demons and to the swine reported it. They began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. So we've suddenly entered into the social realm of this. A group of people who know this man have come to see what's happened to him. And they have completely the wrong response. Right, They should have said, oh, this is fantastic. This person of ours, a member of our community who inhabited the tombs, is now fully clothed and in his right mind he's healed, he's better. Let's have a celebration. Let's have an after synagogue potluck. Let's you know, bring people together. Let's get all the other people who are similarly afflicted and bring them to Jesus. Surely there are others. Let's get them in a line. But instead they're frightened. The word, again, is similar to the disciples' response to Jesus quelling the storm. They're terrified. Rather than giving Jesus a celebration dinner, they say, would you please leave? Would you please? They beg him, please, 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 please leave. Get out of here. And so the question is, why? Why? What is it that they're so upset about? What are they terrified by? What are they frightened? I think there's a little bit of a clue again in the preceding story of the storm. It seems to me that in the social domain, Jesus had done what terrified his disciples in the realm of sort of nature and the cosmos. He has disrupted a system that was not supposed to be disrupted. He has disturbed something foundational, elemental to the existence of this community that they couldn't have even conceived of as having been able to be disrupted. <clears throat> so there are two social practices that I think are coming into play here. One is called scapegoating, and the other is called gaslighting. They're kind of similar concepts. So in scapegoating, a group of people who are in some state of crisis where they themselves are feeling diminished, something isn't quite right, and so they are feeling a community feeling both kind of collective and individual insecurity, uncertainty, that's manifesting as decreased sense of self. And that also produces the desire to take it out on others. Rather than everybody doing that towards each other, they take all of that collective unhappiness and they put it in a hapless victim. They put it in one person who becomes the container for that, in response to which the community can then mistreat that person, can vent all their rage, all their personal dissatisfaction at that person, typically producing either killing or expulsion. So classic examples would be crucifixion or lynching. In the religious domain, excommunication. Gaslighting is something that's similar. Here's a description of gaslighting. Gaslighting is a form of manipulation that often occurs in abusive relationships. It is a covert type, so a hidden type of emotional abuse, in which the bully or abuser misleads the target, creating a false narrative and making them question their judgments and reality. Ultimately, the victim of gaslighting starts to feel unsure about their perceptions of the world and even wonder if they are losing their sanity. Gaslighting typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence and self-esteem, uncertainty of one's emotional or mental stability, and a dependence on the perpetrator. See, if we've been paying attention in this story, there actually are a lot of clues that this man, who seems to be uniquely and independently afflicted, and who experiences an irreproducible healing, is actually an essential part of a system. When we see where he lives, he doesn't live just in the wilderness or on the beach or out in the woods. He lives in the tombs. He inhabits the realm of the dead of this community. And they have been trying to constrain him, right? They interact with him regularly, trying to hold him down, trying to control him. He will not be controlled by them. The name legion of what afflicts him, it's a direct mm, allusion to this group of oppressive soldiers that probably marched through the towns that these people inhabited. But then there is again their disturbance, their fright, their resentment of him being taken away. Oh my goodness, they say, what will we do? We will now have to face what we have produced in this person. And if this is the case, if this is what is going on, if this monster is not some independent, autonomously operating thing, but is a product of a system, so much of what is going on in this story makes sense. And it is also something that I think you and I experience all the time. Rather than this being a one-time occurrence that happened long ago that's kind of fascinating, it's what all of us do all the time. We are always either being monsterized by somebody around us or creating our own monsters for our own sake. When I think about David's message not that long ago about you know he asked the question of us how do you, how does how do you think God views you? Like does God think you're good or bad? And most of us kind of thought well we we think God thinks we're pretty good. But then when you look at what religion, what Christian religions have said about human beings, I inhabited in one in my youth that posited, essentially, that all human beings are through and through monstrous. Right? That was what was put in me by my Christian religion. And I still remember the moments that this man seems to be having of waking up out of that insanity and coming into being redignified being clothed again and coming into an accurate perception of what is the case about me and what is the case about my world and where did these voices inside me come from they didn't come from me i don't think they came from god and oh my goodness what a relief to have them be gone what is happening in this man is what we do to each other all the time. It is what we do to groups of people all the time. We put lies in them. We put our disturbance in them. We cause them to inhabit our realms of the dead, to produce harm against themselves, to believe what we want to be the case about them. And so suddenly, to me, this is an amazingly relevant story for all time. And so then you come to this moment, right? <clears throat> so there's begging Jesus to leave. Oh, would you please go away? You're messing with things and pff, we won't know what to do going forward. We don't want to see ourselves. We don't know how to live without this. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged Jesus that he might go with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, this ten cities region, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. What a moment, right? It seems like a pretty reasonable request on the part of this man. He has come back into dignity, come back into right thinking. The language is powerful, fully clothed, and in his right mind. It's interesting that the the outcome of having these Entities in him being sent away is he thinks clearly. He perceives clearly. He perceives accurately. He understands what has been going on. He can interpret the world around him rightly now. (laughs) And His first request, not surprisingly, is, ah, please take me with you, right? Because he knows the townspeople haven't changed. They're kind of upset, actually. They're not happy. They're not welcoming me back home. They have lost their villain. They have lost their monster. What are they going to do? They'll probably try to recreate me as a monster, and if they can't, they'll find somebody else. So, Jesus, do you have an extra seat in the boat? And Jesus says, no. It's interesting, because when you look at this story, one of the tensions or dynamics that plays out is nobody's in the right place. Everybody's in the wrong place and wants to get to the right place or doesn't want to be put in the wrong place. The spirits in the man beg Jesus not to send them too far away. Then they beg him to send them into the pigs. Then the people beg Jesus to leave. (coughs) And Jesus grants all those requests. But with this last begging to take me away, Jesus says, no, stay and tell your story. It's a remarkable ask on the part of Jesus, right? I have a couple of thoughts. One is, I think Jesus detects a remarkably renewed capacity in this person. For most of us, the kind of transformation that this individual, this man, experiences, it's the kind of thing that plays out across the course of life, right? Lots of conversation, weeks, months, years of, Therapy, prayer, helping, evaluation, insight, conversations. I think the story is giving us a picture of a man who comes fully back into himself. Solidity, stability. I think Jesus detects in this man the capacity to do what Jesus is asking. He suddenly has the ability to be stable. To be able to inhabit this realm of complication, this realm of threat, he has the ability, he has his dignity back, he has his mind back. I think, too, Jesus has an awareness that there will be nobody more relevant to your setting than you. This seems to be the kind of occurrence that happens, I think, in all places, communities, cultures. But there will be nobody who can tell the story in a more relevant way to this community, who understands the particularities, whose oppressor was legion. And so this man will have a voice that is relevant to everybody in his community. So my hope for us here is that we experience what goes on in this story. My hope for us is that we are able to perceive the ways in which we participate in producing monsters, the ways that we participate in scapegoating and gaslighting in these systems of vilifying some for the sake of the many. But my hope too is that where this has been a part of your experience of life, where you have been targeted in this way, and again, there are so many ways in which we're targeted based on the things that we know, uh, gender identity, gender, race, ethnicity, economics, education, age. There's so many ways that we produce this kind of targeting, where we put these kinds of lies in people. So my hope for you is that this, if this has been a part of your life, That you're aware of ways in which, because of your identity, people have put things into you that are not true about you. That this is a place where you can get relief from that, where you can get liberated from that. And then we stand with this man saying, well, given that, if that happens, what do you do? What does it mean to stay and tell your story? Who's going to hear that and how will they hear that? Will it be those who've been perpetrators who are willing to let that go? Certainly there will be people like you who have suffered similarly in your setting where if they hear a story of liberation, they might have hope. They might believe that I could emerge from this too. Right? I think that's the invitation for us from this story here. So I'm going to bring us into a moment of reflection, just of quietness. Um, And just invite you to find yourself in this story um, to give a moment for Jesus to stir your thoughts, to come to you so Jesus, here we are Uh, we inhabit all elements of this story we're so often both those who produce these systems and those who suffer from them those who put lies in others and those who receive them. We long for your liberation, and then we long to be storytellers, Jesus. Help us, give us a vision for that, for this as a part of our life. Where would this happen for us? How would you have us just inhabit this? So come to us, Jesus. We give you these few minutes.